Welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we are doing Mission Impossible Fallout. Ethan Hunt and his IMF team, along with some familiar allies, race against time after a mission gone wrong. Mission Impossible 6. The last one. For now. For now. A movie. A movie that I have seen the first hour of like four times. Well, now you've seen all of them. Yes. All two and a half hours. This is the longest one. And this now I understand why I was so bored by it. And I was like, I don't understand what's happening. Because I hadn't seen five. Yeah. Because, because, and this really should just be called number six, because... Um, Mr. Cruz, like, like, I think they shouldn't be numbered because they should all stand on their own. Oopsie doodle. Okay, this one doesn't. And it can't because they did too much that connects it so closely to five, which I had not seen until we did this series. And too much of this film requires you to have knowledge of five, which is not true of the other ones. It's that. And then, like, it just goes so complicated and high concept when it doesn't need to be no and we did the nukes thing again which like okay fine i just i when we did it in rogue nation it was just so over the top and like here like i know like some people complained about the whole thing with julia but the thing about julia that i liked is that they were really addressing something that needed to be addressed they had to round that out however they were going to do it well like they could bring her back if they want to but like sure you've got to resolve that loose end but they did and i loved it yeah i thought it was really respectful but also like it made total sense i actually really liked how that was done we're adults and this is just a really weird fucked up thing about our life our the life that we shared together and he can't move on without knowing that she's okay and she like i just i like that i i thought that was really great and i also like that there's a love interest that they set up that doesn't pay off yet yes. we know we know it will but that's okay but I like that we don't do that until he knows Julia's okay. She's moved on and she's going to be okay. And she knows that I'm going to be okay because I'm me. Because he wouldn't be able to move on with that. Exactly. They developed that in those characters so deeply in the third movie. Here's what I'll say. The people like us who have now watched all of them. Yeah. Which I did not like her introduction. Hello, shoehorning a Katie Holmes lookalike into your franchise. But they paid it off. They yep. made it. They gave us an emotional payoff to her existence. And I appreciate that. Yep. So cool. Good for her. Great. Good for her. Good for her. <laughs> but this movie is bloated. It really is. So like, I like bad, like undercover IMF agent. Like, I'm fine with that. Dirty spy. That's always going to be part of the game with Mission Impossible. I'm fine with that. But there should have been more twists. There should have been a little bit more double crossing. They hinged their entire double cross Uh on a very blatant in your face scene of seeing a broken phone and then handing over a clean phone. They hinged everything on that. Yeah. And also the Vanessa Kirby role should have played a much bigger role. And their intention is to do that, from I, what I can tell. I, my under- yes, my understanding is she's coming back for seven and eight, which is fine. 
But I think she could have had a much bigger role in this film. Especially dropping that Max line. Totally. Which is, again, another great payoff to people who have watched the entire series. You can't possibly be John Mark. I'm not, actually. It's an alias. I suppose it's better than John Doe. Is there another name you prefer? Is there someone we could talk about? In fact, I like Lark. It's of a certain ring. We don't have a lot of time. See, I'll be honest with you, a man of your reputation, I was expecting someone uglier. Like, okay, great. She's she's related to Max. Hells yeah. She's bringing Vanessa Redgrave energy. She absolutely is. Let's let's have a little let's let's do some um, biblical knowledge here. Let's throw down because that's fucking hilarious. Let's do that. Let's play those games. Let's throw it back to that type of messaging because that was so inventive back when they did it in the first one. I'm cool with all of that. But they just kind of let it hang. They were just like, ooh, Easter egg here. Pretty girl. (laughs) The end. My hope for these next two movies is that they come back in and they tighten it all back up a lot. Well, that's this film felt like Easter egg the movie. That's a lot of that. Like... And then, like, there was no Jeremy Renner. And then we kill off the Alec Baldwin character, which I was kind of sad about because I really liked him as the director of the IMF. But I'm kind of fine with that at the same time. Like, okay, get him out. Make Jeremy Renner's character the director of the IMF. And, and there's there's reasons for that. We'll get sure. into trivia. But, you know, logistics aside, there's just a lot more they could have done to actually make these Easter eggs. Sure. Real motivations moving Pay forward. Off. But instead, they're just popping it at you. And then they have these stunt sequences, which are not nearly as intense as what we've seen before. The, there are only two things. Well, that's not true, because I just said a bunch of things that I did really like. There are two more things that I really, truly, and this all goes into writing and story. So we're kind of doing that already. But that I really love about this film. We get two tech boys for the whole film. Yes. Luther and Benji. We get Luther and Benji for the whole film. We do. Which, they have the same job. It's so fucking hilarious. But so they're very different. They're very different because Benji definitely wants to be a full-fledged field agent. He wants to do everything that Ethan can do, but he is very tech savvy. Like, that's his that's his go-to. And riddled with anxiety. Totally fine with that. Love that as a character. That's great for this film. Definitely an energy we need. I love the dynamic. I just love the dynamic of Luther yelling at Benji and uh-huh. Benji also giving Luther crap. <laughs> love, love two tech bros fighting. Love it. I'm yeah. here for it. But also the progression of Benji as an agent has with every film with three. So now this is four films. I'm counting for four films now. He has gotten progressively better and more badass and cool. And that's amazing for Simon Pegg, but also just great for that character. It's so cool. It's really taking the abrupt killing off of Emilio Estevez's character. Yes. And paying that off for us going forward. Absolutely. Because that's what Simon Pegg is filling for the franchise. Well, I mean, I'm so sad that we didn't get more Emilio. I would love it. Oh, please let Emilio Estevez actually be alive. That would be amazing. That'd be a fun bit. Oh. Make him the bad guy in one of the movies. He was horribly mangled and now he's going to get his revenge. Sure, it's got a it's got a face scar. Like, pull, oh, like yeah. y'all like to steal from Bond all the time. Just do it. Do it. I'm here for it. And he gets to be a smurry villain. Give him like a like a half mask, like the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, but then he's he's smarmy, sarcastic character. Yes. <laughs> 
anyway, I'm so here for that. Could be fun. Well, the budget for this movie was 178 million dollars. Yeah, they gotta they gotta murder all the cars. <laughs> its opening weekend, it took in 61 million 237 thousand. It grossed 220 million 160 thousand in the U.S. Globally, it took in seven hundred and ninety-one million one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. This movie was produced by Alibaba Pictures, so they were clearly marketing to China. Yeah, they made buku bucks overseas. And at this point, I feel like this franchise is way more of a global franchise than it is a U.S. franchise. Well, okay, so we never saw this in the theater. No, we didn't because we we thought about it, and then it just didn't happen. Yeah, because everybody loves to shoot them up and everybody overseas doesn't give two shits about the Scientology bullshit. And everyone's just like, we love Tom Cruise. Well, and there is nothing objectionable in this film to China. And that is a big thing. That is a big thing in marketing films there. There is nothing in this film that is going after any specific country. Sure. Or any specific political view. Sure. It's all about rogue spies and, and blowing things up. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, it was like, yeah, this is kind of tailor-made for a global Global. audience. That's also also why the John Wicks do so well. Yeah. I mean, they targeted the Russians in one of the films, but, you know. It's Russian mobsters. Yeah, but, you know. It's very different thing. Totally. And so it's just interesting to see, like, you know, it made its money back in the U.S. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It's still a giant franchise, but it's making three times that amount of money overseas. Sure. And that's kind of fascinating to just see how that's all shifting post-production completed on july 3rd 2018 less than three weeks before its premiere they like to cut it real close with these movies well with all those special effects yeah i get it that's what does it they stated that if the movie did well that crews in the production group said they would make more see oh that's almost always the bargain if we do well we'll keep making more yeah and, and i get it especially at this point with the franchise he knows that at some point there's got to be a logical end. Well, also, I I know with this film, he basically shattered his foot. Yeah. He fucked up too. his foot really bad. So that fucked him over. So it's like, I have to, this has to be financially a huge windfall for me to keep doing this. It's getting to the point where Tom is like, you cannot do this kind of stunt work for that much longer and be okay. Like, he'll still be able to do stunts. Don't get me sure. wrong. Well, he's always going to do stunts. But you're not going to be able to do Ethan Hunt like this forever. Well, At some point, you're going to have to wind it Eventually, down. Ethan Hunt is going to have to be the guy in the office. Yep. Or Ethan Hunt is going to be dead. One of the two. And that's okay. You can still produce him. You can still be the dude on set. You can still do your thing, man. But you may not be the star of the movie. Yeah. Obviously, it did sure. Gangbusters. Sure. Obviously, they have two new movies working on. They're filming the new They're one right now. They're filming them right now. Tom Cruise has stuck his foot in his mouth for being a dick and a half. George Clooney kind of had a had a really good take on it. And just like, I understand what he's saying, man. Like, you're a producer. you got everyone calling. People are counting on you. That's just not my style. Talking to people that way is not, that's not my style. That's not how I would have handled it. But I get, I get where he's coming from. I know there are a million people like, he's the nicest guy to work with. He's the greatest guy to work with. Well, not that day. No. Not in that moment. And you want to continue to be a great person to work with. Be the person who apologizes. And whoever you fucked up, whoever you yelled at, you need to apologize to them. And if you yelled at someone in front of people, you need to apologize in front of people. Exactly. I'm just, I'm, yeah. If, If your transgression was in public, your apology needs to be in public. 
the the other thing too because I, I some people were like you know i don't know i i get the frustration i'm like what you don't understand I mean, I don't... especially if you haven't watched these movies like we have he is in charge yeah he's... people are like well you know you go above him it's like there is no there one is above no above him, him. Set. he is a, he is he's boss man he he's is the money the boss and the money he's the money and people don't know that about this franchise all the time and it's like no 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 you don't go above tom cruise's head so like he has to apologize there are very few people who can get away with saying no to him on that set pretty much it's McHugh, the director who i believe is directing the next two as well writing and directing yep like that's the only guy who can really say no and that it's gonna take a lot yep not definitely not excusing any of that behavior it, it was bad. It just, it just, at the time of recording this, it just happened. Yeah. That's why we're talking about it. Oh, yeah. Who? Well, let's talk about our writing. It's Bruce Geller, again, the okay. creator of the series. Sure. And gets credit. Christopher McQuarrie writing this film again. McHugh. Yep. Not a standalone film. Not great for this movie. No, the, the, and the, I like a lot of the elements. And I feel like this is a, a post-it film. We have all these ideas that we like and things that we can do. So we put them all on the board for things to do in films. And then, oh, we just grabbed a couple and said, make a movie. Why is Solomon Lane back? That's the first question. And and we talked about this with the last movie. He wanted to be killed off. Yeah. and and Kill him off early. Which, here's, here's the thing. I'm fine with his character coming back in a way. Like, it's very, it's, again, that's very Bond. Very Bond. Yeah. Like, we didn't kill you. We caught you. We're not going to kill our villains anymore because they didn't. We're gonna we're gonna capture you and we're gonna imprison you. I like the idea that we have to, we're gonna trade him or we have to get information out of you. Whatever. But he's such a passive villain. Exactly, and we Which also worked for one movie. True, totally fair. But his element of the movie should have been ten minutes. They get him out. He gets murdered in two seconds. The end. And then that, why is he murdered? Why was he murdered? I thought he was so important. Oh, he's really not that important, but we needed him dead. The organization that wanted him out really just wanted him dead. That's what's important. It's it's a whole mess. And, it is. And and then you compound that with all these different layers of different stories that you're like, sure. we're going to introduce this. We're going to introduce this. And you introduce all this shit without resolving a lot of it. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's just, yeah, that like, ugh, it was gross. And then we get bad dude CIA guy, which like, okay, okay, here, no, here's the thing. I, I like this conflict. I love this conflict. The IMF and the CIA do not like each other. CIA agent, I think your organization is bullshit. I don't like how you do things, but I have to come babysit you because we have to deal with this shit. Fine. I love this dynamic. I am here for it. I am here for somebody who's there to give Tom Cruise shit. Yeah, and the and the whole the IMF is a scalpel, the CIA is a jackhammer. Like, sure, it's a very it's a very good dynamic of of the two there. You're not getting rid of me that easily, Hans. That's not what this is about. Sure it is. I know you don't want me on this detail, but let's face it: if you'd made the hard choice in Berlin, I wouldn't be here. If you hadn't gunned down the syndicate agent they sent you to find. I wouldn't be here. That's right, I know all about you. You're why we don't have a living witness who can identify John Mark or the Apostles. If you have a problem with my methods, you can always stay behind. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, isn't that the thing? Like, their fight in the bathroom, 
great example of what's I like. I love Henry Cavill just takes the computer and I'm like, I'm going to use this to fuck up this guy. It's great. Knowing full well that that's going to handicap him. I just like that dynamic. And I'm I'm totally here for that being a new a new central part of the conflict. And then we come to find out that because we've had we've had that dynamic before. And that's how we got the Jeremy Renner character. And then we found out, okay, he's not who we think he is, but he's not a bad guy. He's not a covert agent. He's just a field guy who had to become an analyst for because he had a bad moment. Cool. But from the moment that we figure out that Henry Cavill's character mm-hmm. is the bad guy, mm-hmm. I never get a clear motivation. Oh, I knew he was a bad guy from like the second we looked at him because he has a mustache. Hello. <laughs> I mean, for me, and again, the thing that just gets me is the MacGuffin of this movie is so stupid to me because they made it so painfully obvious. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, if you're going to make it that obvious, then you really do have to twist and turn us around. You've got to throw more red hair. Yeah. Us. Well, the here's here's what needed to happen to have this work more efficiently. We should have had more with Alec Baldwin, Angela Bassett stuff, and that it should have been CIA. Like, we're going to streamline your organization because we think that they are. You're you're spending too much time. You're wasting too much money. Your next mission, you have to take several of our CIA agents. They're going to detail everything you're doing. They're watching you. And we come to find out most of them are bad. Not all of them, but some of them are bad. And or we, we shell game them. We, we think they're all bad, but we, only one of them is. Exactly. Like, is it? Exactly. It comes to find out not all of them are bad, but some of them are bad. And we don't know who to trust. Exactly. That's but, the case. But we don't get any of that. And so then it's just flat. It's a flat line script. Well, well then it becomes the only the only new element is this dude. So he's the problem. <laughs> I mean, so like, so everybody who was here before is here except for Alec Baldwin. But we don't care because he really wasn't part of our crew. So like we make it out with the same crew intact. Fine. Yay. Hurrah. The end. Meh. Meh. Let's talk about our director who is also Christopher McQuarrie. It's fine. Everyone shows up. It's funny when they're funny. They're actiony when they're actioning. Tom Cruise runs when he's supposed to run. So there you go. He doesn't bring anything particularly unique or interesting to the film. No, but that's because the writing is not great. Yeah. Like his last one, he did so much better because that one was better. Like there were, yes, there were things that needed to be improved upon. But that one for me was better. It just continues to boggle my mind because this is the man who wrote the usual suspect. Like. Just put it all there. The most taut thriller. (laughs) Because it was it was it was new. It was yeah. brand new. Yeah. And the reveal was so insane. Great film. I think he can do better. I just they think around these action sequences so much and there's a little bit uh, of like edit, please. But again, no, again, the big action sequences are fine. You have to do that here. No, I absolutely get that. But again, I feel like this is Easter egg the movie. Yeah. And it's all set up, but nothing comes about from any of it. Yeah. McCory's ethos was to keep the movie to practical stunts, practical action, and real locations with as little green screen as humanly possible. Hence, motorcycle chase around the Arc de Triomphe. I mean, I'm always for less green screen and practical effects, so cool. But to what end for this movie? Neither. I mean, the halo jump is fantastic. It's cool. And the helicopter sequences at the end of the movie are fucking cool. I mean, they didn't do as big of set pieces as what we're used to. So it wasn't as fascinating, which is fine. But it's also like, I'll go watch John Wick instead. Yeah. Yeah. Their car chases are better. Let's talk about 
the guy we've talked about this entire time. Oh, yeah. Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt. Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt. What do we think of Tom Cruise in this movie? I'm jumping out a window! (laughs) Oh, sorry, I had it in 2D. I I mean... What are you waiting for? I I feel like he did a better job of like, are you fucking kidding? Like, I can just feel his attitude of like, are you fucking kidding me, assholes? A lot more in this film, which I appreciate. I feel like that wears on him a little bit better because of his age. Yes. Which is good. We do need to get some of that Murtaugh, I'm getting too old for this shit, to be more regular. <laughs> He's also getting that that balance of paranoia where like in the last movie, there was that issue of we couldn't always tell yeah. that he was supposed to be wildly paranoid, which is yeah. what the whole script was telling sure, us. Sure, sure. And in this movie, it's way more nuanced and balanced because- He's pretending on that paranoia sure. while he's still holding the cards in his deck. Like we get close when we get to sure. that bunker and then he reveals, no, I knew the whole fucking time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm going to swap Benji out. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Which is great. I love that. So it's great. I think he's given a solid performance. It's not his best. No. But it's it's in the upper tier, I not think, the lower tier. I think four is his best so far. Why? Three is still the best. Three has the best writing, but I really like the prison breakout in That's four. Fair. That opening sequence was like, like, come on, I'll wait. Come on, fine. That opening sequence, it, and then the the Kremlin break in is probably the best Tom Cruise has done in in MI. Him him in four is fun. I Hi- didn't particularly like four. I don't know, and four as a movie as a whole is not my favorite. But I think Tom Cruise in four is the best mix of action, charm, and smug. Because when he gets to play smug, he's so entertaining. Oh, yeah. He's really good at it. But like not like it's that Ryan Reynolds flavor. I'm a cheeky fucker. (laughs) That's fun from Tom Cruise. Well, he trained for an entire year to perform the halo jump. Sure. Because that is a lot. He was impressive behind the wheel. There were four takes of the car making the 180 degree turn mm-hmm. down the steps in Paris. Yeah. Three of the four takes were perfect. Yep. And in order to complete that turn, he had to turn the wheel, hit the clutch, and then put it in first gear mid air. Wow. A lot of the stunt people were like, it would take stunt drivers decades to learn how to pull something like that off. Mm-hmm. He was already that good a driver mm-hmm. that he could just do it, go through it, get his practice run and go, yeah, okay, I got it. Yeah. He's just that good at, like, he just has that skill set, which allows him to be able to say, I'm going to do it. Yep. And then do it. I mean, he, has, he just is. He has acquired it over time. He's He has put in the work. He does. He has. He did injure himself jumping from one of the buildings to another during that whole running sequence. Mm-hmm. He maintained his grip on the building using a specially rigged harness in his stunt history. Mm-hmm. So they did have safety precautions sure. in place. But what happened was his ankle fractured on the impact and he tried to run it off. He tried to keep going, but he couldn't and they wound up shutting down. Yeah. Well, I know the shot is it is what is in the the film. Yeah. They showed it on the Graham Norton show. and He still had his boot on when they had the cast when they were doing the rouse. And he's like, yep, there's my foot. Like, see the building? There's my foot. It just goes like, like 90 degrees up. Uh huh. Uh huh. And shooting had to be delayed for eight weeks following that injury. Sure. Dude can't walk. (laughs) Nope. Cruz, however, said this is the easiest he ever had it in any of these films. 
Yeah, because the stunts are jump out of a plane. Physically, that's not demanding. Mentally, that's more demanding. Like, I have to be alert. I have to pay attention. Like Physically, it is demanding because because of the altitude. True, but it's a different physically demanding. Yeah. Like, you're going to have to take a lot of time to rest to recover. But, like, I don't... And you're going to have to train a fuck ton to not pass out. True, true, but it's, like, I don't have to do, like, fight choreography training. That's a, it's a totally different type of training. And then stunt driving. That's the best. That's like playtime for him. And then the helicopter hang. <laughs> well, that's fun. That's I get to I get to hang out this, out of a toy. <laughs> like whatever. On IMAX. On IMAX. Who cares? It's pretty bonkers. It's bonkers, but like compared like that's not the scuba diving. That's not hanging off the side of a a plane. Yeah. For 4 days. Like that's nothing. Like this is this is play. This is bullshit for yeah. him. Yeah, that is interesting. Next, we have Henry Cavill as August Walker. Before this, he was in 2002's The Count of Monte Cristo, Tristan and Isolde, Red Riding Hood, Stardust, The Tudors, Immortals, Man of Steel, The Man from Uncle, Batman vs Superman, Dawn of Justice, and Justice League. After this, The Witcher, Enola Holmes, and Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yes. What do we think of Henry Cavill? I mean, in this he's such movie? an asshole in this film, but it's fine. I like him as an asshole in this film. He is still figuring out that American accent a little bit, though. Just a little bit. I think the thing that throws him off more than anything is that mustache. He is overpronouncing his words. It's because of that fucking mustache. No, uh, maybe. I think the mustache throws him off more than anything else because when he's Clark Kent, no problem. That's fair. It's the mustache. Which they also, which we all know they wouldn't let him. Oh, we'll get there. Okay. Oh, we'll get that's there. That's so fucking, I'm sorry. That's so fucking funny to me. Uh, it's, it's just so fucking stupid. But like the, mu- and yeah, I, th- I think the mustache is a mistake, but I understand wanting, because his face is so iconic as Superman, I understand we need something different. I don't hate him in the movie, but then he struggles to be able to find the through line for his character because the writing's so poor. True. What I needed from him in this film was when it's just him and Ethan be the biggest fucking dick in the world. When it's you and your boss, you kiss your boss's ass. There was no tonal change with him when he's with different people. And you're an agent and you're also now a double agent. I needed to see him being a double agent. I needed to see that on screen so that when it turns and it turns against us, it's, oh, yeah, this makes sense. Because it's just like, yeah, whatever, who cares? But it needed to make sense and be like, this makes sense, but this is fun. Because we've been seeing you do this to every fucking person you encounter since we met you. That would have been more playful and also would have given him such a huge acting opportunity. But he either didn't think to do that or the director's like, no, don't do it. because. You could have done that with this script. Yeah. He could have. But but that choice was not made. Nope. A lot of choices weren't made. Fair. <laughs> he was offered the role publicly through his Instagram by Christopher McQuarrie. Hmm. Tom Cruise was originally cast in his role in The Man from Uncle. Oh. And then Tom Cruise had to drop to do Rogue Nation. Okay. So he saw the movie and was impressed by Cavill's performance sure. in that role. Okay. And told McQuarrie, hey, go see if you can get him. Great. Play opposite. That's a that's a great way to get cast and awesome and good for everyone involved. Because I, I know Tom Cruise loves movies. He does. I, I like them together. They they had good like fuck you fuck you. We're two hot dudes chemistry. I love it. 
It's fine. I'm old, you're young, fuck you. <laughs> Basically, I'm tall, you're short, whatever. <laughs> like, I I appreciate that dynamic. I'm okay with it. You did not know his character's full name until he got to set and saw his chair. I didn't know his character's full name until you just read it. Yeah, I know. The cocking of the arm guns, that was improv on his part. Yeah. In the bathroom. I like it's it. one of the best sequences that get, got played I mean, in the trailer so damn they, much. They, it was just like... That's hot. <laughs> it is. It's fucking hot because you know he's so ripped. Of course. He's so fucking ripped. And you're like, oh, he's going to go fuck somebody up. But not. he can't do it like Superman because that's the other thing. This is his I'm going to fuck somebody up, but I'm not Superman. My favorite thing, though, is that he goes to fuck somebody up and then he gets fucked up. I do like that. Most of the time through the movie, that's what happens. Those guys fucked him up, which is great. <laughs> but then I also just love that whole like, I'm going to take this bag. I'm going to take this computer. Fuck you. It's great. <laughs> Very cute. I liked it. He stated that his training for Superman did not prepare him for the wild ass stunts of this franchise. Sure. Yeah. Superman was geared towards body sculpting. Mm -hmm. This required training. Training, absolutely. Quote, it is about prepping for the stunts, rehearsing the stunts, making sure everything is finessed and going right. And I love that. It was a very different approach and I enjoyed it enormously. Sure. His first stunt was rappelling from the Grand Palais. Cool. And he was excited until he saw how high up he was. And then he started getting nervous. Fair. And then we get to the mustache. Oh, God. The yep. Mustache. The mustache. We all remember what went down as the final result of the mustache. Yes. It was such a controversy. <laughs> the Justice League reshoots and the CGI'd mustache out, which is why his mouth looks kind of weird. Yes. Well, this was contractual. Yep. So in the contract for this film, there was a clause that stipulated he could not shave the mustache. Okay. During production, they called him back for reshoots for Justice League. Sure. And Paramount said, absolutely, you cannot shave the mustache. Yep. So, okay, maybe you can figure something out. So a co-producer on Justice League suggested, why don't you just shave it? We'll shut down production and we'll get Warner Brothers to pay $3 million for the visual effects for Fallout. We'll just pay them to CGI a mustache on. Paramount took the contract and went, absolutely the fuck not. Mm. So then we get the CGI smooth-faced Superman. So so little little junior producer person said, fuck over the movie you're currently working on and don't honor your contract over there because we didn't do our movie over here well enough. Bad idea. Uh no. That that's a converse that's a conversation that grown-ups need to have. It's like, hey, what if our production pays your production to CGI the mustache back on? Can we pay that? Can we pay you that cost? Because that is a polite gesture that one producer can have with another producer, like, hey, look, I know this isn't the contract. Can we do this? Because that will make our production go better. You can still get to keep your actor. We can stay on time. Like, I get it. I get why you need it. Mission Impossible has a right to say fuck off. They do. <laughs> they contractually do. Paramount had the contract. Here's the thing. Henry Cavill also, as an actor, could just say, fuck y'all, I'm I'm not, I'm gonna shave it because I don't want them to CGI my mouth over here. Like he could do he I mean he could, but then he's the one who has to pay the money. Yep. But also, like womp, oh, womp, womp. wow, that producer should I'm sure. <laughs> oh. Oh. And finally, if you oh. want to make things feel weird. Always. Born in 1983, Henry Cavill, the same year that Tom Cruise became a movie star in Risky Business. Oh, God. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Weird. He's exactly, he's one year older than me. Weird. 
All right, then we get to slightly more than Arpons for this movie. Yeah. We've got Ving Rhames playing Luther Stickle. Cool. Back he, again. He's there. He's sassy. Poor Tom, Luther was supposed to die in the first movie. Yep. And Cruz fought to keep him in, and he has been a fixture ever since. I, I enjoy him, but I will say this. Luther, because they can't kill Bungie. Luther needs to die in the next one. We need to lose Luther. Yeah. We, we need to lose someone. And so, because we know there's going to be two more. So if Ethan doesn't die in eight, or he doesn't retire to be like the chief, we need to lose Luther, this next one. Or Julia. One of those two has got to die, because we can't lose Benji. <laughs> if, you, if you kill Benji, I will riot. And of course, Simon Pegg's playing Benji Dunn. We have Rebecca Ferguson playing Ilsa Faust. She was pregnant while making the film, seven months by the time filming completed. Oh, damn. So. Good honor. And Sean Harris playing Solomon Lane. Back again yeah i I mean he's fine i just we know he didn't want to be here so he said he could hold his breath for 45 seconds underwater but he lost all of that time because he was upside down having to blow air through his nose during that car sequence oh but he was determined to get the shot right wow they got it wow to get that shot they used a stationary camera while the truck was submerged and so the camera just kind of rolled with it sure so you just saw the water flow in and then we got our ponds yep we have Angela Bassett as Erica Sloan. Cool. We have Vanessa Kirby as the White Widow. I like her. AKA Princess Margaret from The Crown. She originally had a musical entrance singing the speech that she gives. Um, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad they didn't do that. No. But Vanessa Kirby will be a fixture going forward. Good. Michelle Monaghan as Julia. Yeah. Wes Bentley as Eric. It's the paper bag boy. He always looks creepy. Yeah, well, you know, just those eyes. Big eyes. Alec Baldwin playing Alan Hunley. Wolf Blitzer playing Wolf Blitzer (laughs) slash Benji as Wolf Wolf Blitzer. Blitzer. Great. And as the mission briefing voice at the beginning of the film, Christopher McQuarrie. Mm -hmm. Notably absent, of course, Jeremy Renner. He could not be in it because of his commitments to Infinity War and Endgame. Yep, that makes sense. So they had to write him in. That's fair. But contractually, he owes them one more. Well, Macquarie did note that he would have been just killed off immediately in the first half. Really? They would have gotten rid of him. Really? I think that's a mistake. I don't know if Jeremy Renner gets to come back because he's bad news. (laughs) Well, okay. Person aside, the character, I think that's a mistake. Fair. Jeremy Renner as person? Yeah, you's in trouble, dude. Had he been in it, I think killing him off would have been a mistake unless... He had come along on the mission and that was part of the double crossing that we couldn't tell who was good or bad. One of the newer agents kill him. Yeah. It couldn't be the first thing that happened though. He had to, he had needed to make it to at least the second act. Yeah. That needed to happen. Oh, well. Trivia. Trivia. The bathroom sequence was supposed to take four days to film. (laughs) Because of its complexity, it was shot over four weeks. Sure. The halo jump was the last shot that they filmed, but the first stunt designed. Okay. They actually did this jump from 25,000 feet because it is a high altitude, Mm. low open jump. Yep. And they are traveling at 165 to 200 miles per hour. They are falling at or even further than terminal velocity. Wow. So like when you talk about the training for a halo jump, that requires incredible expert training sure because you can black out instantly if you are not ready for what's about to happen to you yeah 
It took a year of planning to get that whole jump right. Mm -hmm. They could only film for three minutes a day near sunset Mm -hmm. in order to get the continuity to stay the same. So it always had to be done at dusk so they could keep everything in shot. Sure. They could not actually film in France due to airspace regulations. Okay. So instead, they filmed in the UAE, in Dubai. Okay. Cruz, Cavill, and the skydiving operator Craig O'Brien took 106 halo jumps to pull three different takes. Yep. O'Brien had to keep a constant three-foot distance from Cruz, but they used a red weapon camera with an IMAX lens, neither of which had been used in freefall. Hmm. strapped to his helmet to get the shots yep they had to focus the camera without being able to look in the viewfinder Mm -hmm. because it's strapped to the top of his head so they created a device that would adjust the focus as it calculated the distance o'brien moved away from Cruz in the air that's amazing to rehearse it, they built a custom oxygen helmet that lit up the face mm-hmm. and a giant wind tunnel to practice the speed. Mm. Then the cast and crew did five skydives a day. One morning jump, three afternoon jumps, and a dusk jump. Mm. Typical halo helmets cover the face. Mm-hmm. You can't even see inside. But they needed to be able to see the actors to get their reactions. They tried to use a 3D printed hard resin, but it was not strong enough to withstand the wind speed. So they reinforced the helmets with copper that they painted black. They used LED lights around the the visor of the helmet to light their face. But the bulbs had to be covered in silicone to avoid any oxygen igniting the bulbs if they burned out. (laughs) Because they were at such high altitude Altitude. with such thin oxygen, it would basically catch them on fire instantly. Wow. Occasionally, other casts would come and visit while they were doing the jumps. Sure. And Peg said he and his co-stars were constantly worrying that Cruz was going to die because it's such a complicated jump. Peg had said that about other films. Like, I don't know if Tom Cruise is going to be at work tomorrow. (laughs) Like, constantly. I mean, his quote on this, it is a daily stress going to work with him because you don't know if you are going to see him tomorrow. Yeah. Alan Hewitt, the skydiving coordinator for the film, said, quote, it takes accelerated freefall instructors over 1,000 jumps to be able to rescue a person in freefall while skydiving. Something like 70% of the people who try to qualify at the instructor level fail. Tom had 100 jumps to perfect this, and he did it. Yep. He stated that the biggest risk of being at the altitude they were at is hypoxia. If you lose oxygen like that, you don't even know it. Yep. Because you're going so fast. It's incredibly dangerous because you think you're okay, but there's no oxygen to your brain. Mm-hmm. And Cruz on filming the stunt. Of course. Quote, everyone was so excited and proud of what we had accomplished. That is the greatest feeling and why I think I am addicted to making movies. Unquote. Holy shit. <laughs> there's ever been a quote that defines Tom fucking Cruz. I mean, that's it. I mean, he, it's not so much a death wish, but he has an adrenaline junkie. But the way he talks about the process, he loves the community. He loves doing the thing and seeing all the people go, we did it. Look at what we did. Look at all the things we made to do the thing that we got to do. And then it got on film. He loves that. He loves the process, which kind of makes my heart break a little bit because you're Tom Cruise. (laughs) But like. For me, that's the nitty gritty shit that I love about making theater, about making my podcast, 
Like, I like the nitty gritty. How did we, how did this happen? How did we get from this tiny thing to here? And then other people going, we did it. We did the thing. It's so cool. Yep. That's it. That's what he's ultimately addicted to. The Paris chase scene used 70 different stunt drivers as Cruz was driving against traffic at high speed without a helmet. Of course. Of course, they did clear the regular traffic. Okay. Most of the tourist sites had to be closed for the shooting. So they got the Arc de Triomphe with no tourists for two hours on a Sunday from 6 to 8 a.m. Those of you who don't know the Arc de Triomphe, that's the place with all the fucking people going in a circle. Uh-huh. They're just saying, fuck you. And they're like seven lanes deep going in a circle. But I do love, they were like, okay, Sunday morning, 6 to 8 no one will really be there anyway. That's That's fair. all you get. That's fair. But they had to wait for the sun to come up to start shooting. So they had like 20 minutes. They had an hour and 15 minutes total okay. to film. So they had 45 minutes set up. There was no room for error. I'm okay with that. And they pulled it off. I'm okay with that. At one point, the safety rig malfunctioned. And the crew only had a small window to get that shot. Cruz just said, quote, my friend, we have got to shoot. You just put the camera out there and I will come around this corner as fast as this bike will possibly go. Yeah, that sounds like Tom Cruise. (laughs) That's Tom Cruise when the shit hits the fan. He's like, I would prefer to be safe, but we don't really have a fucking choice right now. Yep. Without a windshield, you really can't ride a motorcycle faster than 25 to 30 miles per hour without eye protection. Sure. Because your eyes would constantly water. Sure. So what did they do? They They broke out those contact contact lenses. Popped them in. So Tom could go as fast as he needed to go. Of course they did. (laughs) Of course they did. And the scene is actually an homage to a French short film called Rendezvous that's made in 1976. It's really just a big prolonged car chase. Okay. Um, But that short was actually so dangerous to film that the Parisian police chief reportedly threatened to take away the director's driver's license. (laughs) (laughs) When they did the cliff fight, winter was actually fast approaching. They finished shooting that sequence 15 minutes before a blizzard dumped snow over that entire area and the cliff. Wow. <laughs> they could not find a cliff for filming in New Zealand where they filmed most of the sequences for all of the, the final sequence. Sure. So instead, they found a cliff in Norway. Okay. But that cliff has extreme weather shifts like that. So when they scouted, the wind was so strong that the location scouts had to crawl to avoid getting blown over the edge of the cliff because they would be too top-heavy. They requested 800 helicopter landings on the cliff to provide the necessary equipment and supplies for how rough that location was. Hmm. (laughs) The long line stunt on the helicopters took two years to plan and design. Wow. All of the moving pieces had to work perfectly because he had to be harnessed, but he could not get tangled either. Otherwise, he risked getting hit by rotors or falling off or bad stuff. Cruz surprised them all by continuing the scene after he'd climbed up to the helicopter skit. They just figured they were going to get the stunt shot. They'd cut away and Mm -hmm. then they'd get him getting into the helicopter. He kept going. Okay. And so they just had the camera and could keep going with him getting into the helicopter. Per the producers, this was even more extreme than Cruz hanging on the plane in Rogue Nation because the wind was that much harder to deal with. Oh, okay. Because you're not only going forward, you have downdraft from the rotors. Cruz had to complete an intense course of pilot training to fly the helicopter in the final chase. And of course, it only took him three to four days to be able to execute that perfect spiral in the helicopter. 
Mm-hmm. How does he do it? <laughs> he had to start before sunrise to make sure there was enough sunlight for the day's filming because it was winter. Obviously, the White Widow delivers a tribute to her late mother, Max, a lover of paradoxes. The producers have confirmed that this is the same Max as Vanessa Redgrave's character. Mm -hmm. Max calls Ethan a paradox in that movie. Mm -hmm. Mm. The police ambush sequence used silk draped from the bridge above to obscure any shots from the paparazzi. Mm. They digitally added the view of the river later. Okay. And the 15-minute countdown lasts over 22 minutes. on screen (laughs) Ah, bad planning Ah, and that concludes our review of mission impossible fallout and our review of the mission impossible films so far so far we have to come up with a rating system as we do for all of our movies for this film plutonium cores i guess that seems like the most obvious choice how many plutonium cores are you going to give mission impossible fallout i'm gonna go three and a half because there's there's a lot of really good Easter eggs. They just don't pay off. And I think that's my biggest issue is that this story sets up so much. It just doesn't pay any of them off. So I hope that seven and eight concludes some things. And this film doesn't stand alone. So like we have story problems, but we don't have acting problems and we don't have like enjoyment problems like i still enjoyed watching the film but like i could not enjoy this film until i had until i had seen five yeah i'm gonna go three okay at first i thought i might go lower but in thinking about it i do enjoy it yeah it's not like i'm bored by it and it's not like i'm confused like something like rook nation sure i was like i'm confused about the stakes and why we're doing this and i felt very confident in that yeah I think... but it doesn't stand alone well and no. it's a mess and we left so much hanging yeah, and I liked the other ones better. Yeah, yeah. But, and, like, previously, when I had tried to watch this movie, I did not, I wouldn't have never given it a three and a half. But that's only because I hadn't seen five. You well, have to see it. I, you have to see five to understand a good chunk of this movie. Which is not this Just franchise's not... raison d'etre. Yeah. All like... the films stand alone. They're supposed to. Come on, Tom. And you and you just get rewarded for having seen all of them, which is great. Tom, go listen to your old interviews. Come on, man. Come on. But They're episodes of the show. Come on. So yeah, so when seven finally comes out and you know he gets to go to space and film eight, you know, we'll watch that and it'll be great. It's not a joke. He's planning on going to space for at least one of them. He's already working with Elon Musk. We're gonna have to show that to our son. Yeah, yeah, we are. This was filmed in space. What? with the guardians of space voice well that is it we are now actually finally approaching award season yeah uh so we had a delayed oscar season so uh, it's time for us to do oscar movies and we enjoyed our last oscar series so much that we're gonna do it again we're gonna find a new year We're, we're yeah we're gonna we're gonna pick a year of the Oscars where the, the competition was fierce and there is a nice smattering of movies that we have not seen. And the year we've chosen? Is the films of 1975 Oscar award ceremony, 1976. I've already seen the movies for this year. David's seen them. I have seen nothing. Well, I haven't seen, I've, I've only seen a few of them, but the movies this year, such an interesting and different set of stories. Sure. And we, we came across this with Jaws yep. that year, looking at what it was up against. It was just like, wait a minute, what, what? And all those films were ones that we hadn't seen collectively. Yep. 
And so that's just a really fun way to look back at the Oscars because it's such a fun way to experience the Oscars. Now, talking about the merits of a film being nominated or why it should not have been nominated. So, and this year will be like none other. So, uh, we've, <laughs> we've got a we've got a long season ahead of us. But grow out your hair and sideburns, get your leisure suits. It's time to go to 1975. But before we go, we need to talk about a new movie we've seen. So let's do that. All right, so in new movies, we watched The Trial of the Chicago 7. The story of seven people on trial stemming from various charges surrounding the uprising at the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago, Illinois. Yep. That's a good movie. Yeah, you really didn't want to like it. I <laughs> I didn't. I had concerns because Aaron Sorkin is a good writer, but especially with political material, he has been known to get preachy sure. and glossy. And this movie, <laughs> I really felt like didn't do that. Well... He he does get preach. I mean, okay, so that's what he's best at. He is best with political stuff. Yeah, he's very good at take getting very wordy and making it interesting and snappy. Courtroom drama is where he lives. That's I mean, where a he few, should be. A few good men. A few good men. <laughs> a few good fucking men, and then the West Wing. I mean, you don't have to like the West Wing, but you can't deny it's snappy as fuck. I just worried that because this is a story about radicals. Sure. That he would gloss over that message. Sure. Because he he's talked about he is very much a centrist. Sure. And he doesn't. And that's where I my biggest worry was. In fact, I felt like he pushed it as far as he could while still making it a pretty easily watchable movie for everyone. See- I think him being a centrist personally, politically, allows him to write from all these perspectives in a much better way. That's fair. Because it's not about his personal view. It's about what is the view of this character and how do I make that view sound the best? Yeah. I, I, I genuinely believe that. And I, I think he does a phenomenal job in this film. I mean, this this movie moves very well. You've got to balance a whole lot of things that are happening, and there's a very good through line. And so many personalities. Like, yes. The fact that he makes big distinctions between the characters. Yes. And it's not just Hayden versus Hoffman, it's not Abby versus Tom Hayden. Mm -hmm. There's also Abby versus Abby versus Jerry Rubin. Yes. Like those two, even though they're on the same super radical yippie side, sure. have some differences in personality. But also versus their attorney, versus the judge. Versus Bobby Seale, who is sitting there as a black man desperate yes. to get any representation. Exactly. And denied it constantly. Yes. And making that both a huge part of what is happening, but not... Um, uh, not a token. Well, the the trial tokenized him. The the trial tokenized him, but they did not tokenize him in this movie. No, they make his view very clear. Yes, um, and all of those co defendants were also appalled by what was happening. Oh yeah, the whole courtroom was appalled. Yeah, the whole courtroom was appalled. It was very interesting, and you know, again, I've stated this many times on this podcast. I have a horrible grasp of history <laughs> i truly do uh, it's just it's i'm i'm not good with the history so films 
help me order things yeah. and contextualize things. So this film has now helped contextualize some things in history for me and also helped me understand going and looking things up. I'm like, oh, okay, now I understand what's going on with this and this and this and what this means and then how this goes. And this movie, interesting enough, now sits really well with some other movies that are coming out this year. Yes. Uh, it reminds me of the other year with all of the the movies about Dunkirk and <laughs> Churchill. It's like, oh, this is great. Thank you. I feel For, like all these films were made so that Diana can understand a piece of history. Yeah, no, I mean, th- this movie dovetails directly into Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah, so I, we'll, we'll be watching that one, too, because it will be an Oscar contender for sure. But this film, this film's great. It's on Netflix, so it's readily available. This is going to get uh, a writing nom for sure. I would like Mark Rylance to get a supporting nomination. He is so good as the glue in this movie. He he is the glue in this movie. I could see Sasha Baron Cohen also getting one because he has such a difficult position. But I want Rylance. He won't win, but I want Rylance to yeah. get I, and I'll say everybody's amazing in it. Sure. Everybody's really good. And then this is also a movie where I want the Academy to have an ensemble award. I want I want an ensemble award. The sum is better than the parts, for sure. Yeah. Yes. And, and that's that's not saying anything bad about it no. because they're all doing phenomenal. Well, except What's-His-Face is weird to me. I don't hate Eddie Redmayne. I don't hate Eddie Redmayne, but it is weird to me. I think it's his mouth. His mouth bothers me. <laughs> For me, the only thing about Eddie Redmayne is he is supposed to just be the doe-eyed idealist. That's sure. who Tom Hayden was. The, he's he's quoted as being the rebel within the system, and that's it's who totally Tom Hayden fair. was his entire career. That's totally fair. And I, there are again, I, I this film also was able to make two very important arguments very succinctly, and that again is I think something that Aaron Sorkin is able to do so well and so powerfully yeah. and that's something that is always evident in his films for me his language is always so so good at so yeah I I, just... I really worried he was just gonna wax nostalgic and gloss over stuff but instead he dug into it and it the movie is all the better for it it yeah. really is yeah Lots of fun performances, lots of great characters, and I think does a really good job portraying a really complicated moment (laughs) because it was, and I don't think people realize how complicated it was. And also very relevant to the events of today. Yeah. Unfortunately. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yep. If you have Netflix, go watch it. Yep. All right. Well, until next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Facebook.